Well, hello and welcome to season two of the Growth Adventure podcast. I am your host, Andrew Appel. I am thrilled to welcome today Amy Brown, who is the CEO and founder of Authentics. Amy, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, sincerely looking forward to the conversation and just kind of as a primer for everybody, could you maybe just give a brief overview of you as well as your company? Sure. I spent about 20 years prior to launching my company working in government and healthcare. And so, you know, after graduating from IU and getting my master's in social work, I started in government thinking that I was really interested in healthcare policy and then made my way into the private sector and, and worked in a variety of sizes of companies. And it was really in that 20 year tenure that I saw firsthand the problem that I wanted to solve, which led to the founding of Authentics. In addition to kind of my work background, a little bit more about the personal side of me, I'm a mother of four children, raised here in Indianapolis, and, you know, really love, you know, starting a business, growing a business here in Indiana. The landscape has been really, really good for us. In terms of our company and what we do, what we do is we surface business intelligence by crowdsourcing it from the conversations that are happening all day, every day within most healthcare companies. And what I mean by conversations is those recorded conversations between businesses and their customers that usually occur in the contact center setting. Most companies today have recorded calls. They use chat. They use email to converse, transact, do business with their customers. What I know from working in the healthcare space and leading call center teams, contact center teams, is that those micro conversations that happen in the hundreds of thousands every month for some companies, they are just chock full of really important business insights that could be valuable to strategy, to marketing, to sales, but they just stay locked stored and mostly ignored inside the operations side of, of an enterprise. And so as a former COO and someone who was thought of by my colleagues as the cost center of the organization, that really ticked me off because I was like, no, we could be the insight center for the organization. So that's really why I left my corporate gig to start Authentics and to, to surface those insights that those business intel insights that come from those customer conversations in a much more scalable way to the rest of an enterprise. Amy, that was the most chock-a-block full of things that I'm going to follow up on I've ever gotten in the podcast. <laughs> so thank you first and foremost for that, that opening stanza. So the, the first question I'm going to ask, and I promise you, I'm going to ask you a couple more because there was a lot there is you said you started your, your career in government ser service in policy and then moved to the private sector. And yeah. so I guess my, my first question is, what was the why behind what drove you to move from public sector, private sector, and now starting your own company? Because it sounds like there's a common thread between what it was you were hoping to give. The common thread has been in my whole career is my passion around helping vulnerable populations, broadly defined populations of human beings that need help <laughs> to identify those those systematic issues that are happening in big segments of our of our society and 
figuring out a way to listen, to understand it, and then to take action. So starting out in, in government, you know, I got to, to see firsthand some of the, the problems that were happening in with Medicaid populations and be a part of that policymaking. And then in the private sector as, as a operations leader, because my teams were interfacing all day, every day with healthcare consumers, regardless of the demographic of that consumer, I heard in these conversations that they were having with my team every day, I heard pain, I heard desperation, I heard vulnerability, I heard hopelessness, I heard cries for help of the healthcare system. And I, I wanted to do something about that. And I wanted to use both my kind of that humanity side of me, that that social work, you know, side of me combined with technology to to try to really drive that home. And I'd say that passion is what the common thread has been throughout my my career. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people working in the same system that see the same problems that didn't make the same pivot that you did. So thank you for your courage on that. That's tremendous. Another kind of related question to that is it, it's more technology focused is so in your career, you've experienced, as you said, hundreds of thousands of calls of people who are interacting with the healthcare system. Could you kind of maybe without giving away the secret sauce, share a little bit about how you're using technology to help businesses and governments and healthcare systems deliver better outcomes? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing is, is that these conversations are, they are just rich of insights. The problem is that it's a really messy data source. We call it unstructured data, right? It, it doesn't fit neatly into a, a single keyword um, or a single numeric value. And so the industry up until now has settled for numeric values to understand what's going on in with their customers. NPS scores, customer satisfaction survey scores, that's what I'm talking about there. The problem with that is that it's not contextualized enough for leaders to really know why that score, what does it mean, what's the story around the score, and how do I improve it? And so what we do with our technology is we utilize AI and natural language understanding to surface the big themes that are coming through in the data and why we're uniquely positioned to do that differently than maybe an industry agnostic solutions provider is that we have been working for three years tagging and labeling those conversations, essentially turning the unstructured data into structured data but doing so by humans who understand the healthcare system. And so the tags and labels that they're, they're using to organize that data are more accurate and highly relevant to the problems we're trying to solve. And so because we've done the hard work investing human capital in that, our algorithms that surface themes for healthcare are more reliable, more accurate, and more specific to the healthcare industry. That said, another big part of our technology is not to sacrifice depth for an AI-based category. So the rest of our product, besides surfacing themes and using speech analytics, it's, it's a workspace for 
leaders, analysts, human beings, our users, to go in and listen in a very efficient, scalable way to the literal voice of their customer and to be able to to use our product to put together data back stories so that when they go to their meeting to talk about an issue, they have literal customer voices and data from our platform to support the decision-making process that they're about to engage in. Okay. So just, just to clarify, when you talked earlier about, you know, most current satisfaction is NPS or net promoter score. You know, you're, you're talking about, you know, anytime any of us deal with the call center, you get the, will you stay on the line for three brief question type, correct? That's right. Exactly. And presumably, I mean, I'm not a data scientist, but presumably you're going to get garbage data for lack of a better term. You get data, but you're not going to get authentic data because it's self-selecting the responses you're getting, correct? Yeah. So... So first of all, it's a skewed data source, right? Because not everybody responds <laughs> to surveys. And, and if you are responding, you're more likely to be very angry or very happy. And so you've got extremes. Mm-hmm. The second problem is that it puts the burden on your customer. Hey, they've given you their time. They've given you their money. And now you're asking them to give you a survey score. Once you ask them a question, it changes. It just changes the, the mindset of what you're going to get versus what we're doing is we're surfacing unsolicited feedback, insights that are coming up naturally in these conversations. So to your point, Andrew, they are there. It's authentic. It's unsolicited. And, and therefore it's in the words of what's top of mind for the customer. And that just changes the game on, you know, getting to the truth of what customers really really are thinking and feeling. You're empowering people to advocate for themselves without realizing they're advocating for themselves. That's right. So that that leads to another question. This is, I promise, this is not a gotcha question, but obviously privacy and big tech, right? It's a big, yeah. it's a meta topic. So fundamentally, how how do you think about that? How are you approaching that challenge when you're trying to balance on the one hand giving voice to people without realizing that you're giving voice to people while also respecting and protecting their voice as private citizens? Yeah, that's a great question. And since we've decided to make our mark in healthcare, it's obviously something that is front and center to everything about our product. So the first is the way we've, we've, we've gone about building our product is the highest standards of security and, you know, high trust certified, SOC 2 certified, and keeping privacy and security completely as the first priority because we do take in PII, PHI, personal health information into our platform. That said, leaders are relying on our insights, not the identification of the human. (laughs) So we do not, we leave the PII, the identifiable information, we leave it in the the source data, we do not surface it in the platform because what we're really trying to help leaders understand is helping them understand the size of topics, issues, and then using illustrations of actual customer voices to kind of be the the picture to the story, right? And because of the way we build our platform, names, dates of birth, any identifiable information that is surfaced or that is contained in the source data is redacted. 
so that leaders are focused only on the insight and not not the identity of the of the human. So marketers use us all the time to understand, but they don't use us as a CRM platform to go then market to specific human beings because we've redacted that information from from our platform. Okay. And so kind of a, a little bit of a pivot, but a related question around risk management. So, I mean, obviously healthcare is like its own, everybody's thinking about it, right? But, and you brought up PII. So from the time you founded the company to today, how have you incorporated risk management kind of in your approach to both growth as well as servicing your customers? Well, I'll speak first to the customer piece. So risk management is actually a key use case of our product. So we specialize in healthcare. Healthcare is highly regulated. Two of the sub verticals we serve are insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies. So the key regulators there are FDA, CMS, Health and Human Services. Well, big payers like Medicaid and Medicare and entities like the FDA, they are regulating what can and can't be said to human beings by those industries, right? So a big use case for us is to actually help our clients mitigate risk by listening to what the what's going on in those conversations and listening for compliance events and understanding when a compliance event happens, when something is discussed or reported, how effective is that employee of the company who's having that conversation how effective are they at identifying it and following the correct protocols for handling that compliance event? So that's kind of the, the customer side of it. What was the other part of your question about how we're handling it internally, Andrew? Yeah, it was just more about like how, I mean, you've kind of given the answer, but it was okay. more okay. or less, how did you view risk management in the context of growing your company? But I, you, I mean, I think your answer is spot on. And for our listeners who are not in the healthcare world, I mean, a compliance related event, even if you did nothing wrong, could result in hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal costs just to comply with it. So that's just a little bit of context. But no, right. you yeah, I think you answered it spot on. So okay, thank great. you. So Amy, to pivot a little bit more to to you, and I hope I'm not making you uncomfortable with any questions here, but you haven't so far. You, the, the <laughs> term, yeah, okay. Hey, thank you. The term unicorn is overused. However, both in the tech world as well as, you know, entrepreneurial world, women entrepreneurs as well as women tech leaders are woefully underrepresented, to say the least, probably. So in your journey, both from, you know, government to private sector to then making the move to, I see a need, I'm going to start a company and this is what it's going to be. How have you navigated that and how have you continued to be who you are and feel comfortable being who you are in a space that you certainly are the minority? Yeah. You know, I grew up in spaces in the industry where you know, I, I was a minority from a from a gender perspective, and I learned a lot about what it takes to look successful. But I reached a stage in my career where I kind of started to realize that in order to compete in the way the world kind of set me up to compete, that I was doing things in my behavior, in my choices that were not truly authentic to who I was. And I just reached a stage in my life, my career, where I was no longer willing to make that sacrifice, the sacrifice of being someone I wasn't. 
And so a big part of my founder story is, is not just the problem I wanted to solve and, and building a tech company, but also the culture I wanted to live in and the, you know, the way I wanted to live my life. And that was just as much a part of the inspiration for leaving corporate America when I did and wanting to create an environment that had a culture that I could feel good about and that I felt other people who joined could feel good about. You know, I understand and appreciate and value the intentionality of many organizations to really shine a light on diverse leaders and founders. But my dream is to be measured for the way we're impacting the world and that there's no qualifier around, and she's a female founder, right? Like, I just want to be awesome. And I want that awesomeness to have its place amongst all founders, all CEOs, all companies. And that, so that's what I'm shooting for. I'm right with you there, Amy. <laughs> so I, did to, I have two follow-up questions on that. First and foremost is about the, the culture that you're building as well as the people that you work with. How many colleagues do you have an opportunity to work with day in, day out? Well, it's growing daily, but at this moment, it's 45. And just to give the audience some perspective, we are a two-year-old company. And in April of this year, we had 20 people. <laughs> and so we closed a series A round of funding and have grown rapidly since then. So I'm still getting to know, we call ourselves the authenticens. I'm still getting to know some of those authenticens on our team, but there's 45 of us today and growing. Well, congratulations on the growth and congratulations on the series A. And, you know, based on your focus on culture, is there something that you feel you do differently when you're bringing on a new authenticen? than maybe you would have done in a previous role. Yeah, we talk about our values on day one and we incorporate those values in our everyday vernacular, in our meetings, in our communications with each other. And we encourage every single human in this company to talk about their values, our values, and, and how they apply to the everyday work situation, right? So we have three core values, but the two that I'll mention are authenticity and courage. Those are kind of our two leading values. And we bring those words up every single day. And in, on day one for new, a new authenticin, what we really try to do is help, you know, those are big lofty words, but we try to help them understand how does courage show up at Authentics if you're an insights analyst, if you're a product engineer, if you are you know, here to serve our clients. What does it look like internally and what does it look like when we're interfacing with the external world? What behavior should we see? What language should we see? What does being authentic really mean? And, and what should you expect from a company where authenticity is a core value and priority for our organization? So yeah, so, so we're just extremely intentional about, about our values. So kind of a, a follow-on hiring related question is obviously the tech world is incredibly competitive, especially now from a hiring perspective, right? I mean, talent is at a premium. So do you feel that your values give you a competitive advantage or do you feel that you are taking longer to fill a role because you want to make sure you have a cultural fit as well as just a technical ability fit? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, culture fit is absolutely key. And so we do take our time and make sure 
that any new team member really resonates with the values and feels aligned with them. I have found that in for the individuals that we have brought onto our team that have joined us, they do resonate a lot with the values that we're living every day. And I think for those team members who have some experience under them at, when they join our team, there's a period when they start of kind of unlearning <laughs> because in the competitive environment and in a lot of places we've worked, myself included, you develop habits and behaviors and just a way of a paradigm that you think this is what success has to look like in, in a corporate environment. And I find that we would any new authentic and they love the values, but it it's not necessarily easy to to just immediately adopt them. You have to learn what that really looks like and feels like, and you have to unlearn a lot of, of things that may have built up over time. Well, I think that is a phenomenal transition point, and thank you for helping everybody unlearn what society thinks success has to look like from a corporate standpoint, make it more value-based. So for that, thank you. We'll pivot to the lightning round here. There are four questions. There are no wrong answers, only long answers. So Amy, the first question for you is what would we find on your car radio? The truth is, is that my commute is the only moment of silence that I have the opportunity because I go home to a house full of children and animals and in the workday, I am back-to-back meetings. So I use my car time to have total silence and just breathe. It, as I've been doing these conversations, I've been surprised how many people share that answer. So thank you. Uh, second question is, what would we find on your bedside table from a book or e-reader standpoint? I have a stack that's like two feet tall on my bedside stand. Love Brene Brown. I love theologian named Richard Rohr. Love the Enneagram, read about the Enneagram all the time. Generally books that kind of challenge the status quo and and that I find bold and courageous. Well, bold and courageous. Those are very uh, Dr. Brene Brown terms. So thank you for (laughs) sharing that. All right. So next question is cats or dogs? No wrong answer. Bunnies. Bunnies. Okay. Well, there you go. There's a new one. So as I said, no wrong answer. And the last one, and this is a a bit more serious. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? That's a loaded question, Andrew. Wow. I mean, that's just like such an important That's why I said one, one. It doesn't, I know we've all received tons of of great advice in life. Not the most, but one of the most. No, just one of the most. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. One of the best pieces of advice I got, and, and I, I do think about women in particular with this, with this one, is it was my mom who said, Amy, you can do it all, but you don't have to do it all, all the time. And the context at which she told me that was, you know, I, I was wanting to start a family. I was a young mother. I had a career. I, you know, I had things outside of work that I wanted to do in the community and I was feeling this, this sense of like, I need to, I need to do it all. And how am I going to fit all this into my identity? And that perspective was really helpful and, and it helped me realize that being present in the moment and choosing the things to do well is great. And just because I may choose not to do something right now or a life may look a certain way right now does not mean that it's going to look like that in six months or two years down the road. And I found that to be true. 
Well, there's absolutely nothing I can add to your mother's advice. So that is a <laughs> wonderful way to wrap up. Amy Brown, I sincerely have appreciated the conversation. We could probably talk for another two hours about a number of different topics here. But I will just say, again, just a sincere thank you. I wish you and Authentics all the best. And if you would like to give a pitch for our listeners where they can find more about your company. I would love to. So you can go to www.beauthentics.com and you'll find all kinds of resources about who we are and how to get a hold of us. Well, Amy Brown, thank you again and appreciate you participating on the Growth Adventure podcast. Thanks, Andrew. Mm-hmm.